much, Ashley. So how many people out there are doing amazing things? How many would like to be doing amazing things? <laughs> um, you know, sometimes doing amazing things takes a lot of courage, and in order to be able to do those things, we have to change something we're currently doing. So our talk today is called Identity Shift, and it is Taking the Steps to Change. Um, changing is not always the, the most comfortable thing we can possibly do. It, it elicits a lot of fear. It can bring up a lot of, uh, of worry about what will come if we let go. And so, um, so the talk today is kind of a little process of how can we do that without, uh, without losing who we are inside, our deep self. Next slide, please. So um, what is the definition of insanity? Okay. Doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Everyone knows that. We're like a dictionary for insanity. Um, so we, we all really are very familiar with that definition. How many people in here view themselves as insane? Yeah, so, um, so you know, we, we kind of live a life that is very similar day after day. We get up from the same side of the bed, and I personally get up and turn off my alarm clock at about the same time every day using the same thumb to press the button. And I put on the same slippers and walk to the same bathroom and brush my same teeth. They're all there still today. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of go through my day. And then, you know, you might make the same kind of customary breakfast and sit at the same table and read a similar paper with the same ideas in it. And, um, you know, go to the same job, taking the same route, wearing the customary clothes that people expect you to wear with your makeup exactly the same or maybe no makeup at all if that's your preference then. Um, so, so basically, you're living the same life day after day. You go to work and the same people annoy you. And then you eat lunch with the same people that you prefer. And, uh, you know, you do the same work and talk to the same people and then you drive home the same way and you have a very similar dinner to what you probably had the day before, maybe even leftovers. And then, you know, you're going through your day and you watch the same television program, Bachelor on Monday night, you know. Um, and then you get into bed the same way that you always do, wearing the same pajamas. The first service, someone laughed at that, and I was like, she doesn't wear pajamas. Um, so, so basically, um, you all are insane. So I'm sorry to break it to you, but you knew the definition. So deep in your hearts, you kind of knew it anyway. Next slide, please. So let's talk about healthy habits and unhealthy, bad habits, good and bad. You know, what is a habit? What's the difference between a good and a bad habit? Anybody? Yeah? Okay, a bad habit is harmful. Nurturing for good habits. Bueller. <laughs> yep. <laughs> addictive. What's addictive? Bad habits. Okay. Yep. Okay. Bad habits have negative consequences. So I'm here to tell you that maybe there is no such thing as a good or a bad habit. They might actually be just the same exact thing. It's our perception. Someone said in the first service, it's our perception of if the habit is doing harm or good for us 
How many people in here are living 100% the life they absolutely want to be living this moment today? No hands for those of you watching live stream. Um, How many people in here know that they're doing things that are destructive to their own happiness? Yeah. Okay, so basically, if we've got these habits and we're not living the life we want to be living and we're creating the same life every day in and out, then we're not moving into a place of openness where we could experience new opportunities. So, you know, I really think of this as numbing. Our habits are numbing to us, whether we view them as good or bad. They're a way for us to become unconscious during our day. Instead of staying conscious and present to all possibility in every moment, we shut down and get on autopilot. And we're just self-correcting as, like, we run into a wall. We're like, oh, I shouldn't have gone that way. You know, we, we kind of wait for bad things to happen to us, to hit us in the face, to actually make a change. Uh, a disease comes in our life, and we're like, oh, yeah, I probably should have been eating healthier the past couple of years. You know, or something just abruptly changes. Our spouse wants to leave us, and we're like, yeah, I probably should have been a little more caring and compassionate. You know, we wait until the proverbial shit hits the fan. Are you allowed to say that in church? I'm not going to be asked to speak again. So we wait for that to happen, and then we're sitting there going, why me? You know, like someone just bashed us in the kneecaps. Why? Um, So basically we've got the quantum field, which is infinite possibility. It is the field of all potential and unity. It's it's our one source, our one power. It is God. It's divinity. It's whatever you believe in. And we've got this quantum field, and it has 100% infinite possibilities. So if you're living the same life every day, you're taking, I like to view it as like a punch card, and you're inserting it into this machine, and it's reading, and it's saying, this is who I am. Universe, project out whatever I'm giving so I can receive what I'm seeing. And so we get upset then when we're not already millionaires. You know, we read the secret. Come on. Like, I read it like when I was 18. That was a lot of years ago. I still haven't made a million dollars. I'm not sure. I wrote out my check to myself, but it just hasn't, you know. But I'm not putting in the million-dollar punch card yet. I haven't said to the universe, God, I am choosing that. I'm still putting in the punch card of some kind of lack and limitation. And in order to make that change, in order to see the change in the world, we have to be the change. Reverend Joanne talks about that every week, the fifth unity principle. It's not enough to know the truth. We have to be and act the truth. And so basically, how can I take this punch card and change it in order to get the world that I want back? Next slide, please. And why is it so hard to change that punch card? It's because somebody mentioned earlier, Habits are addictive. Whether they're good or bad habits, they are addictive. So how many people in here have ever tried to diet? There was like one person in first service. I was like, there are more women in here. Come on. And then more people raised their hands. So um, when you try and diet, you're like, I'm not going to eat chocolate cake. And then all you can think about is chocolate cake. It's like saying, don't think of the pink elephant in the room. It's the cake. It's all you can think about. You're like, white-knuckling, this cake has no power over me. There is one present. Okay, I'm going to eat the cake. You know, like, and, and the cake is really just symbolic of what, what you don't want, and that's the punch card being put back in, right? So 
in order to change, we go through a process in unity we call chemicalization, and it literally is chemical changes in the body. So it's your body chemistry fighting. It is not willpower. It has nothing to do with willpower. It has to do with actual physical chemicals in your body changing. The neurology of your brain is wired in order to continually bring about the same results of your life. And until we choose to kind of go through that withdrawal, and there is an actual physical withdrawal from all habits. So when you're doing that white knuckling and you're shaking and you're sweating and you're like, it's just cake. Why am I sweating over it? It's because there is an actual physical chemical reaction happening in your body. And your body will freak out and it will be like, and your mind will say, I can't take this. And let's just go back to what we were doing because that was working. And it's the subconscious saying, that thing I was doing was actually keeping me alive. And though I was maybe not thriving at my best, I survived. So that survival mechanism really kicks in and says, okay, back to the punch card. And then nothing's changed and we keep getting the same results. Next slide, please. Midlife crisis. So I call it an identity crisis. And um, let's first talk about what it is. And, and a midlife no, I'm not going to talk about what it is. I want to talk about why the timing. We talked about the daily routines and how we get set in our ways. Well, as we're children, we're very busy in school. We get involved in our extracurriculars. We get involved in athletics or music or whatever interests us. And we get very um, in, encompassed in our friends, in our social circle. And teenagers just want to hang out with just teenagers. And, they, you know, it becomes very insular. And, we, and during that time, we're creating our identity because our identity isn't actually technically solidified until we're about 35. So basically, we've created this identity and we're like, you know, I don't know what I want to do with my life. We're open to possibilities, but at the same time, we always keep surrounding ourselves with the same people. So then we go to college, and we get very busy in college with a new social life, a new circle of friends, new exciting things that are happening. Well, then we start to get to senior year, and we're like, okay, now I need to figure out what I'm going to do when I'm an adult, which I still haven't figured out, but, you know. Um, so basically we decide, okay, I'm going to move to a new city, and I'm going to start a new life there. And we do create a new identity. Every time we make a change like that, we do. And I'm going to start a new life. And then I'm going to, you know, meet somebody. And then you meet a spouse and you guys get married and it takes a long time. You plan a wedding. That's very busy, right? And then you get very busy because you decide to buy a house and you start house hunting and you're searching for just the right one. And then you get busy finding furniture for it and decorating it and making it just right, just to fit who you are. And then you get very busy. You know, you maybe get pregnant or, you know, you, your wife gets pregnant if you're a man. And, um, and then you're preparing yourself for this new arrival. And then babies come, and maybe there's one, and then a second, and then a second, and there's recovery time in between. And during that recovery time, it's chaotic. Those first couple of years are busy, and it's all about the child. It's all-encompassing. And so we lose track of who we are inside. And then, you know, we decide, oh, let's make another change. We have too many children. Let's go move to another house. So you start looking for a new house, and you have to decorate it, and you have to get it just right. And now your new identity, which is slightly older, and then you buy a new car. And then you start doing all these things. And around age 40, you know, depending, give or take 10 years, 
you start to go, you start to quiet down. The kids get a little older. They don't need you as much. And you have an opportunity to kind of say, there are two choices. I can do something else different in order to distract myself from myself. Or the second choice is to sit with yourself in quiet. So what a midlife crisis is, is it's the choice to pick another place, another person, another thing that will fill you instead of looking at the void that you felt all along, but it was hidden under the veil of busyness. So basically, when we make that decision to fill it with another person, place, or thing, a new location, a divorce, I'm sick of this wife, I'm sick of this husband, you know, whatever it is, it's the choice to make change, to change it up just to distract what it is that we need to look at inside. Next slide, please. So we're living in a Facebook world. And as such, it is very important that people perceive us in the way that we want to be perceived. So I'd like to ask some questions. And this is the exercise portion of the service. So if you agree, then raise your hand. If you really very much agree, stand up and be exuberant about it. So who in here is creative? So this is the exercise portion. So if you feel like you're really creative, that's the the standing. Okay. Who in here is loving? That's a lot of people. Good. Who in here has a love and respect of self? People are like spitting. (laughs) I love others, but maybe not me. Um, Who in here loves their life? Who in here has deep faith? Who in here enjoys their work? Who in here is full of anger? Oh. (laughs) For those of you on the live stream, most people sat down. (laughs) Who in here tells lies? Who in here has a sexual gambling or substance addiction? Some brave souls. Fewer hands. No one's standing, by the way. Um, Who in here is currently cheating on their partner? Not posting that one on Facebook. Last night was awesome. I wasn't with my wife, but I really enjoyed it, you know. The wife sends like a a frowny face. No. Um, Yeah. Everyone's liking it. No. We don't post that stuff. Who in here wants a divorce but feels stuck? No one. Who in here is with their spouse and can't say? No, I'm just kidding. Okay. So this is not to out you all of your vices, but it's to show that what we see is not what we get. Because... I'm sure there are people in here who are like, should I stand up right now? You know, because honestly, when we actually sit with ourselves, what do we feel? And why is it so dangerous to show that side of ourselves to the world? What are we afraid of? It's the shame of who we really are, and that really holds us back from the potential of who we can be. Think of the punch cards. When we're not willing to admit what we're doing, when we're not willing to admit who we are to ourselves, to each other, you know, it really can have great effects on our possibilities. 
So, you know, I, I said this last service, and I'll say it again. I get told a lot that I'm a, an angelic singer. You know, when I sing in church, people say, you're such an angel. And I just think to them, if you only knew who I really am. <laughs> you know, it's beautiful to be perceived as beautiful and angelic. But if people knew the struggles I've had with food and eating and my self-image, and when I look in the mirror, how awful I feel at times, and how ugly I think I am, and, and all these things, you know, I don't post that on Facebook. But it's true. It's deep inside. Until you feel that within yourself, people tell you, and it bounces off of you. It means nothing. Because you're thinking, you're lying. If you knew the truth, if you only knew who I really was, and that's not what God wants. God wants us to feel, if you only knew who you really were. And it's so different. Next slide, please. So, why the facade? Why the false identity? Why the identity theft? Because we're afraid. So, we fear the world won't accept us as we are who we are. And as long as we maintain that gap between who we are and who, who the world perceives us to be, the punch card can't change. So we have to start to bridge that gap. And as we bridge that gap, we'll start to uh, step into our authentic self, our true self, our self with a capital S that can neither be created nor destroyed, not through death. That self that has a purpose, that purpose that is deep in us, that is calling to us, like begging us to make change, to live the life that we're called to live. Next slide, please. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. I love this picture. So, like, this represents what we want, and that represents where we are. So, the only thing standing between you and exactly what you want is faith. How are you going to fill that space? How are you going to, you know, create a smaller distance between you and that thing you want? Next slide, please. Why am I not the bride? Are affirmations working for you? You know, I spent so many years, like I said, I found the secret when I was 18, and I was like, I'm going to do this. I am the most beautiful woman in the world. You've got like 20 pimples, by the way. And I would sit there in the mirror, like, telling myself these affirmations, and I believed them, and I was like, Louise, hey, I do have the power to cure myself, or whatever it is. You know, and, and I spent hours and hours and hours affirming these things that I didn't believe inside, the thing is, is we spend a lot of time gathering information, but until we move into the next step of actually feeling that way, then we can't begin to be that way. So that is the process. It is first you think it, then you feel it, then you become it. And as we do that, we start to create a new personal reality, which is a new personality. Next slide, please. Okay, so how do we do this? We have to get out of our comfort zone. We have to stop doing the same things over and over and expecting different results. The comfort zone, I'm going to call the fear zone. It's your insular bubble of the people you like, the things you like, the clothes you like to wear. All those things that make you, you, are the things that are holding you back. So, you know, I'm afraid to take a risk. So what is the difference between risk and faith? Risk is the assumption that when you make a change, something bad will happen because of it, 
And faith is the trust and knowing that when you make a change, it is for your higher good. And that everything that comes from it will be centered in your light and your truth. So instead of feeling like making the change is risky, it, it takes this effort, you can just say, I have faith that I'm on the right path. And when you get those no's that are deep inside of you that are like, this isn't right, then you correct and you make a different choice. Next slide, please. Okay, so I was watching, um, I was looking at Facebook a couple of months ago and I saw this ad and the ad was talking about this guy who was selling services for business coaching. And he talked about this person he was coaching and the guy was a vegan, he uh, was allergic to cats, he was a germaphobe, and he hated spending money, and he would go to bed every night at like 9.30 at night. So the guy said, okay, change something. So he had him drop food on the floor intentionally and eat it, and he told him to get a cat and like bury his face in it, and he told him to go get a new apartment and deck it out with furniture that he could, you know, and he could afford that, he'd been saving his money. He told him to start going to bed every night at 4 a.m., just because, and some of you are going, but it's good to go to bed early. Yeah, but that's what we're saying. No good or bad habits, just different. So, and then he also said, start eating um, beef and bacon at every meal. And again, some of you are saying, but it's good to be vegan. It's good. It's healthy for your body. That's God's seed, you know. But again, it's the stuck, rigid thinking that keeps us rigid and stuck in our lives. So just change something. It doesn't matter if you think it's good or bad. I dieted for years and years and years because I thought this is good for me. It's good to be pretty. People like thin people. You know, people like attractive people. This is a good thing. And about a month ago, I decided no more diets because I kept saying, well, I've done every diet, so what's the opposite of that? Because I've been playing with these ideas for a long time. And I was like, oh, I haven't tried that diet. I was like, but it's still a diet. So it's got to be the opposite. No diet. And honestly, I've been fine, and I feel great. So um, kind of also realize that what we think is good for us isn't. It's just our thinking right now. We just can keep trying things and then reflecting on their, their results. Next slide, please. Okay, so here are the steps to change. Number one, awareness of presence. So what's happening in your life right now, and who are you right now? Until you can answer those questions, it will be very difficult to take any action toward anything different than that. Until you can actually become aware, what choices do I make on a daily basis? What thoughts am I thinking? How do I feel? What do I think about myself? What fears do I have? What am I not showing the world? Then we have to make a decision to change, and I wrote cut off. Because in that decision, it has to be so profound that the resonance of that vibration goes out into the entire universe. And the quantum field of possibilities has nothing to do but to respond. And you start seeing things differently in your life. And then we go to thinking. So thinking is the gathering of information. For those of you who have not done this stage, you find inspirational text. You find workshops and people who inspire you when they speak, and you listen, and you learn, and you watch. For those of us who have been stuck in that stage, the information gathering, you know, the hoarding of information and the notebooks and notebooks and notebooks of information that we don't go back and read, but we've written. You need to move ahead. Move out of information gathering. 
because that is a very easy place to get stuck. Like, oh, I love Wayne Dyer's book. He's so good when he speaks, you know, when he spoke. And I, I like to watch his videos. And I can sit there for hours doing that instead of actually then taking that information and feeling different. That's the next stage is to feel different. You let yourself experience that feeling as if it's there. Okay? And then finally, you take an action, and that is the fifth unity principle. It is not enough to know the truth. You have to go out and practice. So you actually take steps to change. You bury your face in the cat after eating the M&Ms off the floor. Okay? So, so whatever you need to do, it can be small changes. The bigger the change, the bigger the vibrational effect of the universe, and the bigger the transformation you'll see in your life. And how do you do this? And the only real way I know how to do this is through meditation. So um, if you're resistant to meditation the way I was until about three months ago, um, observe that. So I'm going to say these words. You should meditate. If you're uncomfortable right now, then you should meditate. (laughs) And if you can't meditate for ten minutes, then you should try for like an hour and a half. Because until you can fight through, and I'm going to use the word fight, until you can fight through that resistance that says in your brain, I will not surrender to God or my higher power, you need to sit there until you're that puddle of mess finally surrendering. Because until you do that, your ego, your egoic state, the state of unconsciousness, will push you back into your habits and patterns. Next slide, please. So we have a spiritual practice. This week, do one thing every single day that is uncharacteristic of your current identity. You don't have to label it as good or bad. Just uncharacteristic. Where someone, if they saw you doing it, would be like, oh, that's not like you. (laughs) Express your feelings around this thing at the end of each day in any way that works for you. Through art, journaling, poetry, verbal prayer. And I wrote spoken aloud. Let yourself speak aloud. Hear it. Let it resonate. Create something through it. Thinking is thinking, but sound is creation. And then... um, any other means that speaks to your soul. And if you're really uncomfortable with art, then choose art. If you're like, I'm really good at art, choose poetry. Yeah. 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 You don't have to make changes for the good. You just have to make changes. Thank you all so much. Be blessed.